0: So if you're doing e-scouting, it's hard to see those things necessarily on a map. Yes, you could see fields, you could see water holes, you could see drainages, you could even on Google Earth or whatever, you could zoom in and see trails. That's all very important. But then you're like, okay, well, what are they eating? That requires you to call to a biologist and say, hey, what is, you know, give me a list of the top 10 things that deer prefer to eat in this region. You know, a lot of these, if you don't, if you're calling up a biologist and you're asking them, questions like that that are intelligent and not just, hey, give me a place to go hunting, they're going to be pretty good about giving you the information. If you're used to hunting a lot in your home state, right, and you found the quote unquote honey hole for whatever animal that is that you're doing, take a good look at that honey hole of yours. Where is the water? Where is the feed? Where is this? Where is, you know, all those things that we talked about are originally. And look at that and then replicate that somewhere else. Look at it on a map. Look at it on a topo. Is that same formula? Can I replicate that somewhere else? I can almost guarantee if you replicate that somewhere and find it on a map somewhere else, you're going to find whatever species it is there as well. Once I know that there's deer there that we want to go after, then I my my next thought process is how are they using the landscape? And I could do that through deduction if I don't have which is basically just making educated guesses. If I don't have the time, but if I have the time where this is your place and you're you know, you got some time to dedicate it to, I'd sit back with a spotting scope and watch or or, you know, fifteens or whatever and I would just watch. As of right now, hunters actually outnumber anti-hunting and Mm -hmm. as an industry we destroy them so we have to keep that where it is and now more so than ever we have to be activated we all have to be activists and i know that's a dirty word because it's usually associated with the other side but now is the time for hunters to be activists and get involved hey guys welcome to days in the wild big game hunting podcast I want to take a minute to introduce you to a new organization called Howl for Wildlife. Howl was grown out of the necessity to have a fast-acting tool to focus the sportsman's voice on issues concerning wildlife management and hunting. It's Howl's goal to shut down any initiative that doesn't support sound management practices before it even makes it to the ballot, and certainly before it reaches the courtroom. I know I sound like a broken record, but we need to start looking at hunting as a community and not just an individual sport. And that means supporting all hunting, whether we engage in duck hunting or predator hunting or anything in between. We are all in this for different reasons. And unfortunately, it's this difference that will be on our undoing if we let it. So we need to come together as one pack and let our diversity be our strength. We are a strong force if we band together one voice, one howl. I want you to go to howlforwildlife.org. That's H-O-W-L for wildlife.org and join there. There's no cost to you to becoming a member. How operates solely on donations. So it's completely up to you if you decide you want to send money or not. There'll be no annoying emails, no newsletter advertisements or money grabs or anything like that. No drives, Signing up as a member just means that when there's an issue concerning wildlife management like this attempt on banning mountain lion hunting and bear hunting in Arizona, you will be called to stand with us and let your voice be heard. So get out there, get on Howlful Wildlife, become a member, and join the pack. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode.
1: Hi, right, John. Thanks for coming on to the Western Running Up podcast. We uh, just got connected recently, and just in the last five minutes, been learning all about you and kind of what uh, these different hats you wear and different pieces, and, and I'm kind of excited about a few different things. One, listening to your podcast there, learn more about Howell. You got a South Dakota guide connection there, so that's, mm-hmm. that's fun, uh, as well as Arizona. I've got a little hopes and dreams of hunting Arizona here soon. Supposed to do that this last January, but had my oh, wife's quite pregnant and nope. decided it was a horrible, horrible time to travel. Yes. Uh, she gave me the permissions and whatever else to go. And I'd made that own, my own decision to say, not the time. I need to be here good for on my you. Life. So, had it <laughs> all lined out. Yeah, had it all lined out. It was going to be uh, a great trip but had to had to pull the plug at the last moment and, and i feel good about it it's no big deal i've got I've got my connections down there to to run around at a later date and, and it'll be good it'll be totally good so, Nice. well uh thanks for thanks for being on the podcast no, today thanks for having out. me
0: thanks for having and, me. and
1: uh, if you would would uh, uh introduce yourself and tell us who you are
0: sure john stallone uh i've been hunting since i'm five years old and i'm 46 now so better part of 40 41 years and uh, i'm a dad of three i'm a husband and uh, i've been in the hunting in- industry in some way shape or form for the last 21 years I'm getting paid either to write or I was in outdoor TV for 12 to 14 years, had a TV show, Days in the Wild, same name as my podcast, Days in the Wild. Actually, my podcast was called Interviews with the Hunting Masters for a very long time. I think I changed it three years ago to match the TV show and to match my outfitting service, which is also called Days in the Wild Outfitters. One, because the uh, the name Interviews with the Hunting Masters was seemed like a little pretentious and people were like... Oh, this guy thinks he's a hunting master. Uh, but more so to create, you know, a synergy of all my hunting related businesses um having the same name under the same branding, so to speak. Been an outdoor writer. I've authored a couple of books, The Secrets of Hunting Western Game and The Whitetail Hunters Blueprint. And uh man, I don't know. I've done wrote for a lot of magazines, yeah. <laughs> done it all. I'm a guide yeah. guide in Arizona and a guide, guide in South Dakota and do a little bit in California here and there. Born so,
1: and raised where? Or-
0: um, so I was born in New York. I lived there till I was almost 16, and then I moved to Arizona in like 1991.
1: Okay. So with the uh, – been in Arizona and kind of obviously getting to know that country, what brought you to guide in South Dakota?
0: Well – it kind of came out of, uh, not necessarily necessity, but I had been hunting there. First time I went to South Dakota, I think it was 2004, and I hunted pretty close to Wyoming on the northwest portion of the state, up by Buffalo, yeah. and uh, hunted antelope, I hunted mule deer out there, and then... I got introduced to the Black Hills. Hunted whitetail in the Black Hills quite a bit. I hunted on the eastern side of the state a couple of times in the cornfields and whatnot. But uh, then I kind of found the, you know, the prairie West River, and uh, I had found some BLM land that I was hunting, and it was good. Uh, I had success there, but. I kept seeing much better caliber deer on private. So approached a couple of landowners and, uh, basically to make it work, I had to start guiding out there. Otherwise it would have been too expensive for me just to just <laughs> lease it for myself. Oh, yeah. and, uh, yeah, one thing led to another and, uh, <laughs> and that became uh, what, what, uh, turned into my guiding out there. But,
1: okay. Yeah, that, that paints a little better picture. I was I was trying to envision like I know I know a lot of guides will travel around various states to guide, <laughs> but I was trying to figure out how you're guiding the state you don't really live in, right? As well, so you're, you're working for an outfitter, which makes lots of sense. And um, do you get time to kind of check the area out? Do you come up here to scout or or is there a lot? I'm sure there's. A lot I
0: have of guys, so. I have um, a couple of really good guys that work for me there that run cameras for me year round. And uh, my style of hunting, I, I'm basically a spot and stalk hunter. And uh, one thing I didn't give you in my little bio is that um, I have a degree in rangeland management and ecology, I'm a certified deer steward and also a certified uh, or have a professional certificate in forestry and I have a really good understanding of animals and how they use the landscape and so on and so forth. So I rely on that knowledge to, I'm also a guy that's been hunting all over the United States and I've lived my seasons, you know, five to seven days at a time where I don't have time to scout. So I'm very good at e-scouting, very good at looking at things and saying, well, let me, let me do this and let me do that. And I know I'm going to find animals, um, real generalized. So no, I don't really go up there to scout and I don't really need to Okay, because I do have some boots on the ground Intel and the way that I hunt and my, uh, skill set, I guess it's not necessary for me to do that. That sounded really, I, really pretentious, but that's no, the truth.
1: No, I, <laughs> I, no I, I can totally relate to that in a way that I hadn't lived West River here in South Dakota for, for some time. And I kind of grew up more East River, totally different terrain. And I was I trapped in a while. I was in Colorado. I was required to use cage traps. So that was mm. kind of a bummer, but yet another challenge. Okay, how am I going to catch stuff in cages? And move back here. And I was like, okay, how the the heck do you do this all right I, I don't I know how to trap mm-hmm. but I just can't look at this ground right so went out with a uh, another person that had a lot of experience and uh, kind of ran his trap line with him for a day and I, I got done I was like oh it's all the same it's all the same you look at it just a little differently right um, these lines these edges they're still these were the coyotes and bobcats are running. Uh, it's the same idea mm-hmm. so it didn't take me long to say, okay, I got it. I'm good. I just needed that confidence builder so i I can see that where your same your similar hunting styles are gonna be uh, the way you hunt and especially traveling you get a lot of experience of different types of terrain and uh, different styles of hunts. but once you learn probably that style of eastern montana, Western South Dakota, eastern Colorado, that kind of stuff it's I, I would imagine similar tactics. I mean, a it's still a mule deer.
0: But, right. Right. Well, it, it, you know, yeah, there's a lot of that. And then the other thing is recognizing what animals need. Right. And what that means right. in the landscape that you're looking at. So,
1: yeah. Um, I'd, uh, I, I want to dive into this a little bit because I got some questions now. Sure. One of the folks I'm working with a little bit on my podcast and trying to just improve it a little bit was saying how, There is so many resources out there that are, let's say, uh, Onyx's YouTube channel. I love that channel. It's great. Got good stuff. And they kind of go and throw little pieces of here's how to e-scout. Here's that. Randy Newberg just Mm -hmm. goes like crazy with his e-scouting stuff. You watch some of that, but you sometimes come away with a, I don't know how to apply that. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm still struggling looking at this. This topographic map, and so this gentleman I was chatting with, he kind of expressed that concern of how does that person that's an eastern hunter or somewhere that's not used to this topography look at this ground and be able to identify a game plan or right. a hump plan? Like what, what kind of things can you share that how you look at a new piece of ground and how you're you're attacking it?
0: Okay, well, I guess it all depends on the species that I'm hunting, but
1: it's called if mule deer, mule deer in the prairie.
0: Okay. So mule deer in the prairie, they're going to need trees at some point, right? They're going to need, uh, some thermal cover, either trees or canyons that are going to block. I mean, you know how South Dakota is. I mean, if it's not blowing 20 miles an hour, it's blowing 30. So yeah. y- you need stuff that is going to protect them from that. So when, that's a good start right you look at the other needs you need water you need feed so now feeding the prairie that's not usually a big thing but if you have agriculture that's close by right then that becomes a more desirable feed okay and you're not relying on looking at forbs and grasses and native plants and stuff like that that would but you have to have those things, too, because there's not always ad- agriculture. So you have to find both, right? Especially when you're getting close to the wintertime and, and that rut rut phase uh, that we hunt most of the time. And that's where it's going to hold the does. The does are going to you know, seek out the best possible habitat that's going to keep them the healthiest so that when they're impregnated, they have a higher success of having a successful birth and the, the fallen living. So you will you, you have to look at not only those items, but you have to look at juxtaposition, how they are related to each other. Because if you have an ag field that's two miles away and there's no good travel corridor, that may not be a viable thing to, to worry about. So it's having all the pieces of the puzzle. And the pieces of the puzzle are travel, cover, not just travel. I should say escape routes too. Water, native feed, and then destination feed. When when we're talking about South Dakota or any place that there's agriculture, there's always, and, and really in other places too, there's always destination feed too. There's always a preferred food source something that would they okay. would rather eat on. And it's being able to identify those things. And so if you're doing e-scouting, it's hard to see those things necessarily on a map. Yes, you could see fields, you could see water holes, you can see drainages, you can even on Google Earth or whatever, you could zoom in and see trails. That's all very important. But then you're like, okay, well what are they eating? That requires you to call to a biologist and say, hey, what is you know, give me a list of the top 10 things that deer prefer to eat in this region. You know, a lot of these, if you don't, if you're calling up a biologist and you're asking them questions like that, that are intelligent and not just, Hey, give me a place to go hunting. They're going to be pretty good about giving you the information for the yeah, most part.
1: I do work in that office where I overhear all of the biologists' conversations
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and uh, it's, I've been in this position now a year and a half or a year and a couple months. So uh, I listened to last season's Turkey, Turkey conversations. It's yeah. the same ones happening.
0: It's always the um, same thing. Where Where do I go? <laughs> you know, it's, They're not going to yeah, tell you where to go.
1: It's every <clears throat> conversation, like every day they get the same question. So they don't have the answer. They, they have no problem telling people where to go, like mm-hmm. go do this. But I'm also sending 50 other people there. Right. So
0: exactly. Because
1: they they want to send people into those areas where they got turkey issues or um, especially elk in South Dakota. That's a definitely managed socially. Yes. Uh pretty heavily. So they want to those hunters to be successful. Our success rates are over 60% Very high. Yeah, So they're they want that success. And but man, it's just like the same revolving door, same conversations. Uh, and not uh, to the biologist's fault it's it's trying to think of those creative conversations I have with the biologist and I like that one. What do those deer feed on in that region? I yeah I mean you could
0: ask them a whole bunch of things you know, what is your you know the t- typical asterisk cycle like not that doesn't really change, but like where what I mean by the asterisk cycle like when do you typically start seeing does come in and you know when does it taper off? you know it's just Be creative about information that's going to give you the pieces of the puzzle. And what I've always told people is like, if you're used to hunting a lot in your home state, right? And you found the quote-unquote honey hole for whatever animal that is that you're doing. Take a good look at that honey hole of yours. Where is the water? Where is the feed? Where is this? Where is, you know, all those things that we talked about originally. And look at that. And then replicate that somewhere else. Look at it on a map. Look at it on a topo. And look at, is that same formula? Can I replicate that somewhere else? I can almost guarantee if you replicate that somewhere and find it on a map somewhere else, you're going to find whatever species it is there as well.
1: Yeah, I like that. I think that simplifies it and just brings it back to what these core fundamentals are of, of let's just say mule deer hunting mm-hmm. and you can take that allowing I, talk, I have a lot of listeners that come from the east they're they're planning their western hunt and it can be intimidating even for for me say now i want to go check out montana or wyoming that's intimidating for me just that that's not i don't know that country right i know northwest colorado and western south dakota that's about it That's where I've, where I've hunted Uh, and just branching out to some of these new places, getting new opportunities is, is kind of scary, but yet I think you can bring that back to ground zero and think of, here's some simple concepts, simple things that uh, it's just a puzzle. Put that together and you can figure it out.
0: Yeah. So like from a guy who's coming back from back East, one of the main things you look for when you're whitetail hunting is edge, edge habitat the transition between one specific type of vegetation or one specific type of landscape to another and that might be where a swamp meets up with you know a meadow or a meadow and a, th- a thicket meet up that if you go to that edge right there 9 times out of 10 there's going to be a trail there there's going to be signs that the Animals are using that. It's not any different in the West. It's just you got to use a different lens to identify it. Okay. Yeah. Because you're not, now you're not looking at a swamp and a meadow. You're looking at a burn and a ponderosa stand. You know, you're looking at where the prairie meets a creek bottom. That's, I mean, like creek bottoms in, in South Dakota, are like I think it's even easier because you have all this, all this land that seemingly looks exactly the same, right? And then you have this four-acre group of trees down in a cut, and well, you know, there's going to be
1: there's a deer there. There's
0: deer there, right? Because they're not they're not laying in the wide open grass right there, but there's going to be deer there. Um, I actually have this one little piece of land that it's it's not flat it's it's got all like rollers and it's just grass you know i don't even know how big it is i think it's 200 acres but and there's this giant creek bottom that cuts down the middle of it and then the neighbors have ag on two sides and the back side of it is a continuation of the same Creek bottom and then more of the rolling hills, right? So, more of what I got. And people look at that and they're like, oh my God, there's so many deer out there, but how do we get to them? Well, we're not going to get to them right now. We're just going to look and see what's there and we're going to watch them and we're going to see where they dive back into that, you know, that area this morning when they drop down back into the creek bottom. And then we're going to move to a spot that more than likely when they come back out, they're going to come past us. You know, so to me, I think like that landscape where a lot of people would look at it and be like, oh shit, how the hell am I going to hunt this? When I can see deer, they could definitely see me and there's no way for me to get close. It's stepping back and looking at it from a from afar, watching them, watch what they do, and then put yourself in a position. And I call it spot and ambush, you know, where... Back east, tree stand hunting, you're ambush hunting, right? In the west, Mm -hmm. you're spot and stalking. Well, for me, South Dakota is like where the east meets the west, right? And depending on if you're hunting big canyon country, there's a bunch of cedar breaks or whatever, then you could do spot and stalk. But when you have straight up prairie and you have creek bottoms, then you have to kind of – You know, adopt that ambush mentality, but you can also be mobile. And I've killed, you know, whitetail and and mule deer that way. I should have a video on my YouTube that I, uh, from a few years ago. And this is when I was still actually hunting public land. I glassed up this big whitetail buck and he was pushing a doe and he was heading towards this creek bottom that I had poked around in a little bit the day before. And I could tell he was heading right for this one spot where they cross and I found some good sign and whatever. And I made a big loop and I got around and I got set up and <laughs> him and all the older does came by me at one point and And uh, I was able to make a shot and kind of, you know, harvest that buck. So, it's, it's, it's a lot of it's about, aden- you know, identifying, going back to what you originally asked me, is identifying those same things. That you, that you do in your own home state, and maybe you don't, and you don't know that you're doing it, but once you've found a place that has a lot of deer and a lot of elk or whatever the case may be, they're in there for a reason. And that reason is the habitat suits what, the, what their needs are. So identify those needs, identify what it looks like in your landscape, and then try to replicate it somewhere else. Simple. Yeah. Simple, right? So <laughs> It's not yeah, simple, yeah. But-
1: oh, Easy, easy. Now as long as you can shoot straight. The, uh, I've got a new piece of ground that I'm looking at, uh, and, and it's kind of prompted a, a series that I'm going to do with my solo episodes here. Uh, so there's a little plug for that. We're going to kind of get rolling with those a little bit, but nice. kind of planning, I'm taking a look at my hunting, just totally different. So, um, I'm going to talk about this in another episode, but I, I, I buy antlers, I buy mounts. I'm one of those guys. And. I bought this guy's collection of antlers the other day. It was him and his deceased father. So it's a lifetime and a half mm. of just like four point white tails. It was a truckload. Um, and, and the guys, they've got a lot of stuff and I didn't buy it all, but it's just like, you we spent a lifetime shooting these little bucks, like not little bucks, just average, nice deer. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we had a great time doing it. What are we going to do with all this stuff? Mm-hmm. So, here comes me buying the stuff, picking it, using it, cutting it off skull plate, and off it goes. It just really made me think a lot around, do I want to just fill the my wallet full of tags that are the easy South Dakota hunts? And I don't want to just talk about South Dakota. That's anywhere. You can go right. get easy hunts all over the West because I, I only a fraction of my listeners are from South Dakota. I want to include this in multiple states. You can definitely go have those easy tags, easy whatever. Um, that uh, it, you can fill our tags and have a great time doing it. But I got it's time for me to focus on some specific things, and I'm really looking at this new piece of ground that is semi prairie. It's not full on prairie because it's got it's got some good breaks to it, some good cedars, mm. decent amount of trees, but it's got the open. Um, openness to it right if I told you where kind of a rough area that you'd understand but I, I'm just now I feel like a, almost a new hunter I'm looking at it with a different lens it's not my honey hole it's not a new place or place I've gone over and over again uh, and some of these little pieces you're saying are really kind of getting me to think about okay where where on that piece of ground are those deep cans where that thermal cover is where that feed is where they're headed to and so I'm starting to paint this picture very new to the uh, very beginning of this planning. So mm-hmm. I haven't even dove into. I got three access points trying to find a little bit more of a, a back country hunt as back country hunts get. So, okay. Help me with a couple approaches. And I know this is really hard not being able to see it, but thinking about your prairie hunts mm-hmm. that, that you've attacked, uh, what's your day to day and you on, on those hunts and some of those, uh, your way of approaching and I like what you've already said about getting in front of them. Kind of dive into what that means just a little bit more. Uh, and I'm trying to paint this picture of what what a hunt looks like out in this more open country, where you, where you've got those things figured out. Where you guide, what's that look like? So maybe as an example, I'm trying um, to
0: figure out how to answer that because there was yeah, a lot of questions in lot that lot. one question. But
1: <laughs> sure is, sure is, and I and that's a huge fault of mine. I just have no, a no, no. I got another question. I got another question. Uh, so think of an example hunt okay. that with, with some of your clients that you've you've gone out with, and uh, it was a uh, you had to work for it. Maybe you weren't qu- weren't quite sure where. A decent buck was, but uh, mm-hmm. you had an idea. You had an idea of the cover. You had that figured out. That pre-scouting things up. So this is kind of like step two. Okay. Um, we've kind of got that figured out. what's step two of, uh, like what Remy Warren says: find them, shoot them, eat them. I can't remember what he it. <laughs> <laughs> his,
0: his,
1: his formula to being successful is really easy. Well, uh, well, so what's what's step two?
0: Well, it, it's it's once I know that there's deer there that we want to go after then i might my, my next thought process is how are they using the landscape and i could do that through deduction if i don't have which is basically just making educated guesses if i don't have the time but if i have the time where this is your place and you're you know you got some time to dedicate it to i'd sit back with a spotting scope and watch or or you know 15s or whatever and I would just watch let's see okay the deer come up here the deer come out there they f- like to feed on this hillside and they i find that they're very habitual even when they get to the rut because the does continue to do the same thing and the bucks just start following them at that point so okay. i would just look at it from afar and don't put okay. too much, too much pressure of you walking around in there. I mean, now you got you got, you got time. If you want to go down there and figure out what that creek bottom looks like, or whatever, um, or whatever it is that we're you know the breaks, you want to figure out what it looks like. Walk around, get a feel for how you can move about it quietly, and how you can you know access different points. Because if you're going to spot and stalk, that's a big positive. Every year, in my main property that we hunt, it's all cedar breaks. giant canyon, just all cedar breaks. drops off like almost a thousand feet or something like that. It's like eight hundred fifty feet or something down to the bottom and um you know it's there's all these little cuts and little places that deer can hide, so I spend a lot of time behind the glass looking for things, but one of the most important parts is knowing that when I go to make a move on something how am I going to get there? How am I going to get there undetected? How am I going to cross these big wide openings? Because even in the cedar breaks there's big wide openings, right? And so am I going to run into other deer on the way? Happens all the time, right? So you need to kind of get a feeling uh, for all that stuff. So now's a good time to get a good feeling for that go hike around, go find some sheds kind of get a good idea of what, what it all looks like and commit that to memory. And then once mm-hmm. you get closer to season, you know, start spending some time looking from afar. Okay.
1: Yeah. That's uh, and I'm trying to figure out too, if uh, and, and I'm thinking the the best opportunity for me in that area uh, is a, is the archery tag because South Dakota. It's September to the end of the year. Right. So you have got lots of time, um, but it's also rifle tag is not an easy tag to draw necessarily Right, any deer. Uh, there is lots of white tail in the area as well. So it, it's one of those where it could be a little bit of both Going it's still kind of treated the same, even kind of considered maybe in some of those areas, it could be a tree saddle kind of deal if,
0: if right. I need to,
1: but I, I, I don't know. I don't know yet if I want to go that yeah. route. I have to go gotta go
0: buy one we run ground blinds and stuff like that also okay. i don't do any tree stands i actually shouldn't say don't do i have we have three set up in five thousand acres that i have that we on but
1: uh i struggle i struggle in a tree i can't sit there for more than two hours and i think that's also one of my faults of why i struggle with watching um so i'm glad you told me that because i don't have the patience i want to go dive into a place and go learn it and see what's there Well, see what's over the next hill. See,
0: watching, you could be a little bit more active, a little bit more, you know, you could also be a lot more comfortable. You don't have to be sitting still and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, getting a good tripod and then, you know, good set of glass and and looking from afar and just kind of getting it, you'll see, you'll start to be able to put, and you might even want to keep a journal or whatever, you know, really get focused on it. And, okay, you know, This time, you know, three does comes out and then you'll see that same pattern. Oh, two days later, the same thing happened. You know, it's tedious. Uh, And it's stuff that I definitely don't do anymore, but it's stuff I did when I was a younger man and wasn't married and had kids, you know. (laughs) Um, You can do that stuff. And once you've, again, it's like once you've done it, it's stuff that you can apply in other places. And you don't necessarily have to bring it to that extreme, you know, you could establish a pattern in two days versus, you know, spending two weeks out there. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. That's I'm in that weird transition of life of I'm not a young man anymore with all kinds of freedoms and I'm not, my kids aren't old enough to go with me (laughs) and more than a mile away from the truck. Mm -hmm. Yep. there's a, our attention spans are pretty short. I got a three-year-old and a negative two-week-old Yeah, yeah, <laughs> doing two weeks. So we're counting down the days for that to start all over again. And it's going to be a, a few years <laughs> before I'm at that point of, of uh, taking them out. But I, I was just telling my three-year-old last night that uh, talking to him about, about this and our, in our, in our plans, as much as you can have a conversation with a three-year-old about growing up to be a hunter and i and i asked him if he was wanting to wanting to go hunting with me and and wanted want to bring his brother along we want to do that together and mm-hmm. and he's been he's probably going to be that weird kid in school because he wants to grow up to have a gun and a knife he told me the other day so <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what kind of conversations he has as, oh, as teacher, but i'm probably high on their list of the weird dad
0: oh god <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's how it, he's talking about things. He, oh, this is kind of weird. He started. We did harvest a doe together for the first time this fall. Now mm-hmm. um, we've gotten really close on elk. We called. I called an elk for him when we were two. He was two, and he talked about that for a year and a half. That's awesome. um uh, And then antelope hunting. We were so close, but Harding County opening day, not a place to be with a three-year-old antelope hunting. Yeah, horrible. Horrible war zone. Um, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we ended up leaving, but all he says from that hunt is, "Guys, messed up our shot. Guys, ruined our shot. <laughs> we were lined up on a <laughs> on a decent buck, just waiting for him to do his thing, and and just everybody else found him, and swarmed <laughs> in, so it didn't work out. Uh, but anyway, so we we uh, found this. We're doing <laughs> filling some doe tags in uh just north of the hills there in that area where there's a crap ton of white tails and mm-hmm. filling some dough tags and that was his first time washing the field dressing mm-hmm. and it was just one of those things where I pulled a heart out and I pulled the guts out and he was just absorbing it and learning mm-hmm. and I, I he, he had talked about the other day how deer heart is yummy and it's good it's yummy nice. buck meat that yummy buck meat is always his go-to or yum, yummy bull meat but it's he, he then he started think, relating it to his insides and how we don't eat that and it's just like oh my gosh kid we're gonna <laughs> tell him have have these conversations with me don't have them with your teacher about how we don't eat people hearts but we eat deer hearts <laughs> so i'm uh, a little nervous about those conversations <laughs> he's having but they're they're kind of fun to have at home with him nice but kind of that diving deep of the learning there's kind of it's it's interesting so one thing you got also on your plate here is Howell. Uh I'm, I'm working on on getting charles on to talk about Howl, but i i want to know what you guys got going on there as far as what you do and um some of that work and if you haven't heard about that we'll put some links below for you to, to click and and get involved
0: yeah absolutely um yeah if you have charles on he'll definitely uh he'll run you through the workings of how uh how for Wildlife Works and uh, and the website and all the things that we're doing, uh, reward systems and all this stuff to get uh, hunters activated. Definitely the guy to speak to better than me. My role, I'm one of the co-founders, but my role is talking about the conservation side of it and talking about how hunters and anglers um We need to be more united. You know, one of the things that we face is that a guy in South Dakota, you know, who hunts whitetail in the Black Hills, doesn't give a crap about a guy in Florida who hunts hogs. And it's important for us all to understand that we are all in this together, you know, that we all pay into conservation. We all put our money where our mouth is, and it all goes to the same pot, right? So, right now, there's a coordinated attack across the United States on lion hunting, bear hunting, bobcat hunting. We call it low-hanging fruit because it's not something that all hunters are interested in doing, but it's not any less important. So... Um, yeah. and that's the thing, you know, bear hunter in California loses his rights. How does that affect the guy in, you know, Maine who hunts whitetail? It doesn't, right. You think it doesn't, but it does.
1: Yeah. Cause now I start thinking of, I feel like I moved to a safer state, <laughs> South Dakota right. for that sort of thing, Yep, but it's just probably prolonged where, you have, uh, unless there's some things that can happen, and uh you look at what happens in in your state there with trail cameras. That's another conversation. I guess not. That's not anti-hunting. I guess maybe maybe it is, and it, it
0: it, it um, is and it isn't. But yes, it's a people yeah. problem. But it, in it was introduced by non-hunting, so oh, it's okay. another it's another right that we lost that we. Right, Right. but that we could talk about that that too. But
1: yeah, we have the California stuff. We have all of the attacks all over in Washington, Oregon,
0: Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Virginia, Georgia. um, I'm trying to think right now. That's
1: right now. Yeah, Arizona, Colorado in the in the nineties where they lost trapping and spring bear. Mm -hmm. Uh, Major things that happened there. So those are the they're happening in states. When things happen in Arizona and New Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, so trapping bans, that scares me. I understand. I know it's going to happen in California because I chatted with uh, Jim Huntsman, and, and he talks a lot about the you – know, you look at Idaho and the percentage of hunters that Idaho has mm-hmm. out of their whole population versus California, sort it's less than 1%. Things are going to go to a vote, and they're going to get shot down because you can convince anyone to put it on a ballot, right? Um, or it's going to it's going to get voted out or whatever. So in uh, South Dakota here, it feels like okay, I'm a little safer, but things are just going to keep creeping, keep creeping, yeah. Unless there's something that's going to happen, but you're but not I, it,
0: you're not safe. Nobody is.
1: Right, right, and it, it scares me, and that's why that allows me to to want to care even more about. Even something happening over, I think you guys posted something, uh, how for, is it Maine or mm-hmm. just a couple of things over on the way far east, yep. ways away from me, but it makes me want to care about those because I'm not going to hear about them. Right. I'm not going to hear about them because they're a long ways away.
0: Exactly. So, And and yep. you're not going to feel the effect immediately directly, right? And, you know, those those days of us sitting on our hawks and... Oh, somebody else will take care of that. Oh, that doesn't affect me. Those days are over. Those mm-hmm. days are over. If you want hunting to continue on for perpetuity and you want to be able to have your kids or, you, you know, we were just talking about your sons, you know, and, and your grandkids and so on and enjoy it the way we do. Because if you want those things, it, they're not going to be there. Not the same way. You know, it may take several generations for them to get rid of it completely. But their goal, if you want to know what the end goal is, go look at the bill that they got going on in Oregon right now, which basically me says that if you trim your dog's nails, it's illegal. Hunting and fishing is completely illegal. Riding horses is completely illegal- ranching forget about it. you can't be a rancher that That's their end goal. They just showed it right there. they threw everything that they really wanted. Because they felt like they could right now in this regime, our, our current state of politics, they felt like, hey, let's let's throw this, let's throw this out there and see what sticks. Yeah, they have a lot of support, a lot. Really? Yeah, they do. It's,
1: it's, as ridiculous don't, don't as it
0: the,
1: is, you don't. People are looking at the surface level of that. Not even looking into what that really actually means.
0: But that's like, yeah. Just like our oil and
1: gas. I just posted our oil and gas episode today that I did with a a buddy that, uh, how wildlife connects with oil and gas. But anyway, just look at right now. We didn't want oil and gas exploration in our backyard, but let's do it over elsewhere and buy that stuff. Look Mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. Can't afford to drive our diesel and and our gas pickups. Yeah, It's kidding. So, I also want to quote uh, Dan Gates from Colorado Trapping Association. He always says, uh, during a lot of his anti-trapping citizen petitions that come about, is it's not a trapping issue; it's a sportsman's issue. Mm -hmm. And I think that is summed up perfectly. Trapping is by far some of the lowest hanging fruit.
0: Oh yeah, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, and it's not as not a trapping issue for just the trappers, the two hundred some trappers in the trapping association uh that's all they have yeah 300 there's not many uh it's a sportsman's issue right so uh, that is just changing that verbiage to understand i think is is pretty important
0: yeah that i mean that's the message right there it's like you don't have to be into bear hunting you don't have to be into trapping you don't have to be into lion hunting none of that like you don't you do you do whatever makes you happy as far as hunting is concerned but When that stuff is under attack, we want you to stand up for it because this is what happens. Okay, this is I'm gonna I'm gonna generalize this real and put it in as simple terms as possible. So, you know, I'm gonna use bear hunting in California because there's more bear hunters there than the the 200 trappers you talked about. But we can use the trappers there. Let's say they take away bear hunting in California right now because that's one of the bills. And you lose, I don't know, three thousand hunters in California. So you said California only has you know one percent, whatever, of yeah, the population. One
1: percent of the population. Yeah, but you know, hunters.
0: there's more hunters in California than there probably is people in South Dakota. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. it's only one percent, but California also has how many <laughs> millions of people? It's so four hundred or forty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. We so we don't even have a million. Exactly. <laughs> So, but you get my point right here. So, you, you lose, right. lose 3,000 bear hunters. Now, the 2,000 that were, you know, or 1,500 that were strictly bear hunters and they don't really hunt anything else because that was their thing. They don't hunt anymore. Now, their thing is they're mountain bikers, you know, they kayakers. They picked up something else other than bear hunting. Now, you just lost 1,500 voices. You lost all that revenue that makes us as hunters relevant okay let me explain something to you and everybody listening hunting only exists because of greed and that might sound really polarizing or outlandish, but it's in so many ways it's the truth think about how easy it would be for the government to choose a side and it would be much easier for them to side with anti-hunting And say, no more hunting. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the ramifications of them saying that is what keeps you in this. The fact that we are billions and billions of dollar industry, right? And we are the number one reason why there are wild things and wild places is the reason why you still exist. So if you keep chipping away, at that you know that fortification that we have that we are relevant because of this money and it's all about money right money makes all of this work if you keep chipping away at that and you keep taking away the the voices that come with that money then you're not as relevant it's easier for you to get pushed aside it's easier for a politician to say well you know what there's only 200 of these guys yeah
1: what? that's a small voting voting pool right
0: as of right now hunters actually outnumber anti-hunting and mm-hmm. as an industry we destroy we destroy them okay so we have to keep that where it is and now more so than ever we have to be activated. We all have to be activists, and I know that's a dirty word because it's usually associated with the other side. Mm-hmm. But now is the time for hunters to be activists and get involved, and that's that's one of the things that Hal's done. You know, Hal for Wildlife has given a voice and a and a very easy way for hunters to be activists and to be involved and here I have their voices heard because the old model doesn't do that right when i was i think nine years old i took my first hunter safety class in new york and one of the things that they taught us was you know be very discreet be basically operate in the shadows be very quiet about everything and now with today's day and age the way things are with social media and whatever like that doesn't exist anymore no. You know, everything we do is weaponized against us and we can no longer rely on the fact that, you know, we have, we're relevant, right? We can't, we can't rely on that. We have to be at the forefront. We have to be out there. And one of the things that I'm heading up with Al is our education program and it's educating taking a basically it's what it's what I'm trying to do here is take a page out of the anti-hunting players playbook okay they've been operating in the mainstream media for as long as I know and way before me and if you look at like Disney and Bambi and every movie that's ever been out that I can I don't unless you know one that I don't know of but every movie that I've ever watched that has hunting in it. That hunter is usually a villain, or is mm-hmm. you know made to look suspect in some way, shape, or form. Right? Or they're sloppy and a redneck. Exactly. There's this, there's this very coordinated mainstream uh, narrative that has been constantly bombarded to non hunting public that were either. Running around in trucks willy nilly, shooting at shit, drinking beers—you know, Elmer Fudd, or just creepy, bloodthirsty. You know, there's nothing good. There, we're not, we're not providers. We're not what we're not what we're supposed to be, right? And look
1: at Ace Ventura as he walks into the lovely room of death
0: yeah exactly exactly even
1: a great movie like that had to be ruined with that stupid line mm-hmm. yeah and, and that guy was a hunter i mean he like shot the ryan no. or whatever that is <laughs>
0: yeah that was a lot yeah, but yes <laughs> I, exactly but it, it it's it's that narrative that's out there and my goal and hal's goal is to change that narrative to the truth you know, that the reason why, you know, Mr. Mountain Biker can go access a trail and see wild things and wild places is because we made it possible.
1: You know, so many states now are coming up with Scorp plans, mm-hmm. com- or Corp, whatever, comprehensive, like outdoor recreation plans and getting everybody to the table, the consumptive and non-consumptive users and all this sort of stuff. And it's you're now having to figure it out, you to figure out how everybody's going to use the landscape, because Colorado is the perfect example of loving it to death. Mm-hmm. And you have no breaks for wildlife at any point throughout the year. The hikers, the bikers and the skiers who, right. who have fragmented the, the, the landscape mm-hmm. far more than an ATV trail that allows you to get into some BLM. Have such great impacts on those little areas or on those big areas. Right. So his, and, and not contributing financially yep. any more than, and I'm not going to say not completely, but very minuscule and, and almost not at all. <laughs> like, Th- that's a slippery
0: slope, though. You know right. that. I don't know if, and, oh, and oh, I, yeah. I don't want to put my yeah. tinfoil hat on, but so allow them to
1: have the say then.
0: Right they're allowing yeah. them to have the say and and what you're doing what what the anti-hunters have been trying to do for a long time is to replace the funding that comes from us, right? Yeah. Now if you replace the funding that comes from us, then again, your voice gets a lot smaller, right? Goes back to what I was saying about greed. And sure. you know, so a lot of people at face value hunters are like, "Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, let's let's support this bill because it's going to create more funding for, you know, wildlife and stuff. And it's not all on our backs, but be careful with that stuff. And I'm not, I'm not educated enough to, to give you what the right answer is or what the real agenda well, is. That's but
1: a, that's a really good point. That's a really good point because you, then you're a stakeholder.
0: Right. Exactly. So I don't mind that these people don't pay into stuff because right now that's, what's keeping us alive. Hmm.
1: That's a really good point. Yeah. I'll use that. I'll use that argument in the future because that's good. Uh, I'm going to ask you a very difficult conversation or question. Sure. Uh, So outside of what, how the structure of how, and we're going to learn that later with Charles, but outside of that structure, what's the answer in your mind or possible answers for how we become more united?
0: If I could wave my magic wand right now,
1: yep, yep, that kind of, that
0: kind of. Okay, question. so there's 16 million hunters in the United States. Okay, we're back up to 16 million, which is good because we had d- dipped below 11, I think. Oh. Huh. Uh, so we're back up to where we were in the 80s, I believe. Don't quote me on the numbers, but we're about 16 million right now. If 16 million hunters were members of powerful wildlife, okay? And every time an anti-hunting bill or pro-hunting bill came up and we sent out 16 million emails or signed a petition with 16 million people, do you know how powerful that would be? There wouldn't be a a single decision maker that could dispute that. They would drop it, you know if it was anti hunting, they would drop it like it's hot, so let me explain. maybe I'll tell you the story of how, how it came about, okay, real quick, so last year there was a bill, another bill to ban bear hunting in California, and Charles called me up, and he's like, "Hey, they're trying to ban bear hunting here in Cali because he lives in Cali." And I'm like, all right, well, let's start a change.org petition Said I've had success with stuff like that before. And let's, I know a lot of people, you know, being in the business for as long as I can. So, like, let's get it out to everybody you know, everybody I know, and let's just try to cast as big as that as possible and we'll see what happens. Well, we got 27,000 signatures in five days. Jeez. Yeah. And between that and all the phone calls that we were pushing people to do the sponsoring sponsoring senator dropped it in 5 days of it being on there and it's like I am not sponsoring this bill so if you can see like you see how like that how well how effective that is right and that was mm-hmm. super grassroots that's
1: because it's a it's a i've heard it explained that that the those number of emails and calls that come in it's almost like a tally they mm-hmm. get their little intern or whoever to take the call read the emails whatever right and it's a tally they tally that up yeah. okay you've got two twenty thousand constituents or ten thousand constituents calling Uh, That want this or Mm -hmm. they don't want this. Right. Um, And it goes in in whatever favor, not that that's the end result, but to for a true public servant, someone who is actually serving the public would look at that in a less selfish way and say, this is not good for the people or it's not bad. Or even the people that are not such good servants, are going to say, it's not good for me because, exactly because, uh, that's how politics work. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, that's probably the the more realistic approach. It's yeah. not good for me. It's not um, we'll make it back to office.
0: Whatever. Uh, I do not look as good as, as I thought I would, if I sponsor this bill. Yeah. Yeah. That's entirely, exactly. it's entirely the way it works. And forgive me. I don't know Did I, did I tell you how Hughes does this stuff? I don't know if I told you before we were actually recording or not, or if it's a conversation I had earlier today. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, go for so, it. So, all right, so we'll take California again because it's an easy target. It's always on the fire, and uh, so Houston will put out this a poll, and they will poll Californians, and I don't really know. How they derive their statistics, like, you know, how many people they poll and then they, you know, extrapolate it or whatever. But they poll, let's say 10,000 people, which I think might even be a lot, but let's say they poll 10,000 people and they'll ask questions like, Are you okay with sows being killed when they have cubs? And then they'll ask, are you okay with meat being left out in the field and just taking the head? Are you, you know, okay with cubs dying, stuff like that? Okay, and then they'll take that ever and no, no human being is going to say yes to any of that, right? Right. Apparently, some of them do because. Well, I'll, you'll figure that out here in a second, but but no hunter is going to say yes to any of that. First off, leaving meat in the field. That's want and waste. It's a fine and possible jail time. Killing a sow with cubs, illegal. You know, killing a cub, not usually what we're out there for, right? So, So, all these things, it's all things that even a hunter would say no to. They take this information and they say, This is what a trophy hunter is. And they go to, Senator Joe Schmo, and they say, "Hey, Senator Joe Schmo, ninety percent of Californians are against this, 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 and this." Well, no shit, freaking everybody's against that. And Angles, this is what, and this is what trophy hunting is. Trophy hunting is killing salts with cubs. They're, you know, just taking the head and the hide and leaving the meat. You know, that's that's the picture that they paint. So of course. Senator Joe Schmoe is going to be like, yeah, let's do this. I'm with you. And then they bombard him with a bunch of bullshit, freaking, excuse my French, but st- statistics. No, they come up with their own science. That's, you know, most of it's social science, but even their science, science is baloney. And they okay. present it, right? So this now the senator gives this to one of his aides, and his aides look through it, and you know, they give them the thumbs up. This looks like a good thing. Let's get behind it. And they don't know any better because one, they don't they're not looking past that. They're not they're not diving any deeper into it, which sucks because these are our freaking lawmakers and they should do the deepest dive possible, right? And look at it from all angles. But yeah. they don't. They don't because Hughes, is, you know, presents such a great, you know, package to them that they're they feel like they don't have to go any further. Oh, they covered all the bases. Look, they did social, they did this, they did this, they did this. But it's all manipulated. So, yeah. you know, we find that if you've, that you educate, we've gotten plenty of emails back because we've sent the real stuff. We've sent the other side of the coin. And we, like, even in, in Colorado, we had one of the, uh, one of the sponsoring senators who pulled off the uh, lion band there contacted us and said I want to thank you for letting me know about all these things because I didn't know that.
1: Hmm. And that's a testament.
0: So what I was getting at is politicians are going to do what what you touched on earlier is what makes them look the best. Right? What right. what they think is going to make them look best. So it's our job to educate the non-hunting public and Howl is going to do our best to educate, you know, these decision makers with the right data so that they can make an informed decision whether they're not, you know, now if they're already an anti hunting type person, then, you know, not much of what you can say can help that. But
1: it's like a Facebook argument, just ain't going to go anywhere. Pretty much. So, <laughs> sure. yeah, I, I, Totally would agree. Totally agree. I think that's a, uh, and it's really interesting to get some of this background light on on some of these things and the the work that your your organization is doing um, this is going to push me even further to try and corner trials a little bit more.
0: See if I can get uh, your I'll try to wrangle him down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I get off with you today, I'll uh, I'll give him a call and make sure he gets but gets old here. Cool.
1: Yeah, I, I want to. I want to share more about what you guys are doing because I didn't hear about you guys until what was the start date?
0: So we, we didn't actually launch until uh, January 11th.
1: Okay. So, and I just heard about you guys during the Arizona stuff.
0: Yep. That's why. And that's why we launched. We were, so the technology, the website side, all that was already in place and running on all cylinders. We knew, all that stuff worked the way we anticipated it to. Uh, mm-hmm. But we were still working out, you know, the inner workings of the organization. Or are we going to be a 501c3? Are we going to, you know, be a for-profit? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? You know, like all these uh, things that we hadn't decided. But when that popped up here in Arizona, my home state, I was like, Charles, I think now's the time we need to launch this shit and let's go, you know, let's just, let's just roll with it. We'll make, we'll make whatever adjustments we need to make along the way, but I can't let this, you know, happen here. And, um, we've had tremendous success. We have over 18,000 members right now. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I've got, um, I've got some questions for him on the structure and, and some of the strategy as to signing some things and i i I want to dive into that with him for sure
0: yeah absolutely because
1: it's making me making me think a little bit and after i had signed a couple a few mm-hmm. those I, I wanted to yeah get a get a little more clarity on on some of that process so that'd be excellent but i do want to wrap things up and, sure. and i really did enjoy this conversation thank you very much
0: oh thanks Hopefully. for having me on
1: so <laughs> i just wrote down learned how to attack my new deer see my new spot deer <laughs> season learned how to talk more about anti hunting and uh learned how to kind of uh, look at a piece of ground a little differently so i learned learned a few things here for sure and i appreciate it and uh i, I love new perspectives on on things and i know you're kind of hesitant of saying a couple little things in there just being maybe a little bit more uh risque to say but i those things got to be said yeah and they they uh they they really uh kind of help you paint a light on on the whole scenario so you guys did that for sure starting howl, and, and i bet you've gotten some negative feedback somewhere down the line it's some contention i'm sure yeah
0: unfortunately look
1: out. Look out, Humane Society, because uh, <laughs> they uh, uh, they need someone else to battle battle them. It's going to take us all. Like you said, sixteen million would be right, definitely uh, helpful. It'd be amazing to, uh, to support that because the Humane Society just gets funding for stupid reasons, and people have no idea why that they're funding them. So yeah, um,
0: absolutely. I, if I could, before I le- yeah. leave you to it, I want to challenge your listeners to educate yourself on the North American model for conservation yes yeah, take take absolutely. a deep dive into that and, and really you know learn the ins and outs of that we're actually going to have something on how on the how foundation side um, that will you know be like a little mini class and you can take a quiz and then after that quiz you'll get rewarded with uh, you know discounts to buy gear and stuff like that so but um, I want you to to learn that stuff and and strike up a conversation with a non-hunter. Try to do that once a year and then educate them on what it is that we do, why it is we do it. Really think about why you do things. Think about the meat. Think about the camaraderie. Think about the heritage and all that stuff, all the things that mean that are meaningful to you and your family. And really formulate that. You know, I don't want you to be you know, one of these guys will, this is my right and this, blah, blah, blah. You know, like yeah. that stuff is important, yeah. but it doesn't resonate well with non-hunting, you know, with yeah. non-hunters. So, you need to give them an education on how the conservation model works, how your role fits in, and what it means to you. And you're going to start changing minds. And if stuff does go to the ballot, they're more likely to side with you.
1: Yeah, that's a good plug. And episode 16 of mine, a long time ago, I did that. North American Model Wildlife Conservation. If you're too lazy to read a one-page paper um, on the Fish and Wildlife website, episode 16 will cover it. (laughs) So I can walk you through what that all means. But also, geez, I almost forgot. But why don't you plug your podcast, plug plug all those things you got going on (laughs) that you want to plug.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, Halfa Wildlife is H-O-W-L for Wildlife.org. Uh, you could go up and sign up for be a free member. Uh, there will be a paid membership with uh, you know, different features and benefits coming out pretty soon. My podcast is Days in the Wild. And uh been doing it for a long time. So you can uh check that out and you can just find me, John Stallone, and pretty much Any social media platform. Uh, I'm most active on Instagram probably, but you can find me pretty much anywhere. That's it. I got a lot of stuff, but I don't need to plug it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome. And I'm sure each one of those, or mainly Days in the Wild, can direct you back to other things. So um, looking at the episode titles, uh, it's worth giving it a look. So um, for sure, I think some of those, or a lot of those are going to be really, really entertaining. I'm going to go listen so I got the rest of the day off. So I'll just plug and listen to some, my Monday podcasts is, is kind of, I love to, love to just turn them on and, and listen to what other guys are doing. So, awesome. Um, well, awesome again, John, thanks so much. And I appreciate you for, for being on.
0: Likewise. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word, and check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.